She's Julie Roxanne. And he's Alistair. And And this this is Far Out. A podcast about stepping off the beaten path and learning to live from our center. It was so strange because it wasn't me licking my lips. There was a snake that was coming out of my mouth and and like doing very snake-like gestures like around my lips and then wriggling its way back down my throat into my gut. I don't know how many people are actually still listening right now because that, that can be like outside of that medicine space where it makes sense. Yeah. It probably is pretty scary. It, it was actually really comforting yes. uh, in a way. And behind them, like before the glass, are two massive gongs. Massive. Massive gongs. Massive gongs. Later told me, I'm glad he told me this later, because I I didn't know how I felt about hearing it, but he's like, I wasn't sure if you were going to have a psychotic break, man. And I was like, oh, really? That's That's where I was, huh? And welcome to a brand new episode of the Far Out Podcast. Hello. (laughs) We're here. We're here. (laughs) We're back. We just went on retreat. Now we're telling you all about it. Yes. (laughs) We're excited to share this episode with you. We just, we went on an ayahuasca retreat, if you didn't see with the title of this episode. Yeah. Uh, But we're kind of breaking it down. It's a longer episode, but take your time. Just, you know, listen to it in chunks if you need. And uh, We're going to give you the scoop, the lowdown on what it's like to go on a week-long retreat and drink vine juice that makes you see shit. (laughs) So if that is interesting to you, or if you just like to know why the fuck anyone would do that, it's going to be your episode. You're going to enjoy this episode. We're going to get into a little bit of both. Yeah, and we... We share very openly about our experience and, and in the hopes that it can inspire or, or answer some questions. How I think I would have liked to hear this episode before I went on, on Spoiler alert, we believe in it. And, Spoiler uh, alert, it's awesome. Yeah. Like, there's no doubt about it. <laughs> if you doubt, I don't know, maybe stop listening to the podcast. Uh- <laughs> whoa, 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 Julie Roxanne. Whoa. Jesus. Okay, all right. My God. All right, all right. You can stay. We that's, love you. That's we a bit love drastic. you all the time. It's okay. Okay, we got a little bit of business before, before we go any further. Before we get into the episode, we have to say a big shout out to Mike. Mike! Hi. This is for you. Our good friend Mike just started supporting us on Patreon. Yeah, and I. And we just love shouting out to new patrons. Yes. Thank you, Mike, so much for your support. Thank you it means so the world much. to us. And I'm going to go ahead and say, Mike is an old friend of the show. Oh, yeah. I yes. feel like this is. It's fun Mike to be able to say that. Mike used to be here back when we were in the caravan. Yeah, he's an OG. He's he was OG. here since the beginning, or yes. pretty close pretty to close it. Pretty close to it, yes. And uh, he's come on retreat with us in Yosemite, too. Yes. And so that was really fun to uh, spend some time with him. He kind of makes an appearance on this show a lot. Yes. Here and there, we, we mention we him. We like to mention him every once in a while. One other thing I'd like to say about him, what, what is Mike's Instagram handle? It's scrambled eggs 411 
We'll put that in the show notes. Yes. Uh, he is an interesting guy, and he's a pretty talented artist and also woodworker. Uh, and I don't know if he has any of these on his Instagram. I, 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 if, if he doesn't, I hope he'll put some up because it's something I still want. If we had like a more permanent home, I would definitely commission one of these from him. He does these sound wave installments. So basically what he'll do is it's like a wooden model of sound waves mm-hmm. and he paints them. And so you can have like, it's basically like you have a uh, art installation that is a sound wave. Yeah. Um, and I would love to have one of those for the podcast, oh, which he had suggested awesome. as a, an idea. It would be so cool to have a sound wave. One day. Yeah. One day. So if anyone wants to like really spoil us, you know, like on our <laughs> birthday or something, get in touch with Mike and uh, get get a peace commission for uh, the Far Out podcast. Yeah. Just, you know. Bold. all right well we love you mike thank you so much for supporting us once again we are so grateful you've just been an incredible supporter of the show since day one a A friend friend. it's it's incredible so thank you and uh we hope you enjoy that episode yeah yeah let's get right in let's get into it Good morning, good morning, good morning. Hey, good morning, Alistair. Good morning, Julie Roxanne. Hello, everyone. Hi there. Hey. Hello. (laughs) Hi. (laughs) (laughs) We're happy to be back. I will just insert this here because it's important for me. It's been a while since we recorded. It always feels a little awkward when we come back. Yeah, yeah. It's just, just, I say it every time, but every time it's true. Momentum is a thing in the podcasting world. man so today we're going to do part two of a blossoming series called exploring ayahuasca Mm. if you listen back an episode or two you will have heard my first experience with ayahuasca that really changed the direction of my life almost six years ago yes and in this one we're going to talk about the recent ayahuasca retreat that we just went on together and this was Wow, this was a very different retreat, first off. like uh, The shamanism was a much different flavor. It was in English, which was great. It came from a different lineage. It's in a different part of the world, Guatemala versus Peru. It's it led was, by people who are from the U.S. Originally, yeah. yes. And it was much longer and much more intense. It was a week long, and, and we're going to get into it in a minute. But So we just got back from this retreat. And we wanted to share our experiences. This was your first time working with the medicine. The medicine, yes, it and, was And uh, you had an amazing experience. Uh, it was incredible. I mean, I'm, I cannot wait to go back. I'm like, we've been back for a few days and I just want to go back. <laughs> <laughs> so I think maybe to get into this story, we should share a little bit about how it came about. Um, yeah, I think so. Maybe not going too much into like how we found these people. I think you did an internet search or something at some point, yeah. and and we just found their. We fell in love with the way that they approached this this work. But we were supposed to be going on retreats in April. So we're recording this. This is the second of April, and we've already come back from retreat. We were supposed to go in April. We had planned everything to go in April. We had told our clients we would we would be gone in April. Yeah. And then the coronavirus hit. The pandemic hit. The government here shut down the borders really fast after the first case. Yeah. Which 
we had that like kind of week that I think probably a lot of people collectively experienced where you found out like the coronavirus was a serious thing. <laughs> and then at the end of the week, things were shut down. Yes, uh, pretty much. And, and it was just boom, 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 boom. Yeah, the mid-March, mid-March week. Yeah. Will, March 2020, we'll remember you. Yeah, so <laughs> it was extraordinarily chaotic. And our retreat basically got canceled because the borders got closed and most people were coming from out of the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it got moved up. Well, uh, we got offered the opportunity to be part of the March retreat, which was still happening because it was close enough in time that a lot of people who were supposed to be on that retreat were already on the in the country. A lot. Well, it turned out to be two. Uh, it, and it turned <laughs> out that I think some people who were there yeah. just didn't come. Yeah. Um, so it basically got moved up from being about a month and a week away to a week away. Yeah, we got the we got the invitation to come in the March retreat. In on the Sunday, and the retreat started on the Saturday. And uh, that week was a bit crazy for a number of reasons. I got sick right at the beginning of that week as well. It was just a cold, but it was was pretty nasty. And I think I had to do with a lot of the stress I was feeling. We were getting some pretty, like, tough news as far as we weren't sure how Ripple Out Retreats was going to fare. And we're still not sure uh, around that. That's our retreat company. That is our retreat company. But that, so there was a lot of consequences there. Mm-hmm. There was some family stuff that came up that was scary. Everyone's fine. But at the time, there was some things that were a bit concerning. And and then all the while, the, the Guatemalan government is doing their thing and shutting things down, transportation yeah. shutting down, the market's closing. And we're just like, we've got a week and we're, every day we're kind of going, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. Yeah. And it seemed a little crazy with so much that was going on to make the decision to go drink a, a, a powerful psychedelic. <laughs> yeah, four to go times melt your mind. Oh, yeah, for pretty a week. yeah. It just, I mean, there's this thing called set and setting, and maybe you can just tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, so set and setting is something that if you're in psychedelic spheres, you will have heard. It is basically the all important uh, <laughs> preparations. Yeah. And uh, you need to prepare your mindset. And you need to prepare your physical environment, your set and your setting. These are the two most important things to consider when doing intensive psychedelic trip or psychedelic work. And uh, these are the two things that will really get you in the ass if you do, if you underestimate them. Both of them are extraordinarily important. And uh, so you hear people talk a lot about what's the set and setting, yes. uh, what's your set and setting. Um, because this is really important. And so we were a little concerned about going into such heavy psychedelic work with the setting. With that backdrop <laughs> uh, of the world yeah. kind of falling And apart. also, man, I was anxious yeah. and I was feeling kind of sick and we were both kind of tired and really spun around. Yeah. And so it's like, that's um, kind of an, an intense place to come from when you're going to go into pretty deep psychedelic work. Yeah. And kind of explore the inner caverns of your mind yeah. and, and body. Just imagine that this, I don't know, I guess it's hard to convey how difficult that week was making that decision. But I think maybe something I can say is the way that I made my decision. Because I think you always were more on the 
let's go. Hans. I was going to go, yeah. And I was like, oh, man, so much to be afraid of right now. There's so so many fears that could come up and that are coming up. And I talked to a friend of mine who has experience with uh, ayahuasca, and her name is Aisha, and I like her very much. And she, um, I wasn't telling her, like, hey, I need advice or anything. I was just scheduled to talk to her that day. And I told her where we were at and the conundrum we were facing. And she said, uh, she kind of chuckled and she said, yeah, it's really funny. Every time I've seen people like work with the medicine, there's always challenges that arise as if to test whether or not you're really wanting to do this work or not. Yeah. And, and I think our, our big question <laughs> was, is, is this, I like, is this the medicine testing us or is this the world telling us it's a really bad idea right now? <laughs> it was really hard to tell which one it was. It was, it was really hard to tell. I think both of us though, every time we thought about that coming week couldn't imagine we were, missing it. yeah we couldn't imagine missing it and it felt really right to go spend some time we'd be in self-isolation with a small group mm -hmm. doing deep spiritual healing work it felt like a great time to have a personal reset when the world seemed to be having such a big reset yeah it felt like a great time to step back and like really listen and pay attention to yeah. what this was stirring up in me yeah and it felt really appropriate So I, I felt strongly that I, it was going to do me a lot of good and that I really needed this. I, I was definitely a bit off kilter from, from everything going on. Yeah. It was tough. So we decided to go, and it was really a last-minute decision. Because we, we, every day, the Guatemalan government had been shutting things down more and more. Yes. We weren't sure if we were going to be able to leave the town. The day before we left... They shut down the boats, and that was critical because this place is across the lake. <laughs> yeah, and it's like a 10-minute boat ride, and it would be close to an hour's drive if we were going around the yeah, lake. Yeah, but you, that, that wouldn't be such a great idea because you'd have to go through three villages, villages to get there, yeah. and they'd all have checkpoints. And, and my major concern was, where are we going to be able to get back? And I do remember another concern being... What are we going to come back to? Yeah, I think that was that was a big one for me too. The world, like, things the were world? going so fast yeah. and it was so disorienting yeah. that you just really had the sense you could come back to something apocalyptic. Yeah, yeah. And we really just had to take that chance, yeah. I guess. Uh, <laughs> we what, had to organize a private boat to get to the other side of the lake after all, which was really hard too because private boats were not so allowed. It's like... You can do it, but not really. Yeah. Uh, so, and there wasn't really any, you weren't, everyone had a different answer oh, about yeah. if you could do it or if you couldn't do yes. it. So it was like, eh, could you do it? I guess you can if you don't, don't get caught. Yeah, exactly. That was kind <laughs> of the, <laughs> the feelings. It just felt a little weird leaving the house with our backpacks because I was very aware that we were two white people with backpacks on walking in a pretty deserted town. But still, you know, there's a sense of, Okay, we need to go to shelter as fast as possible. Yeah. I don't want to also be seen too much right now. A sense of we're not sure when we'll be back here. Yes. So we go to the public dock, which is absolutely empty. There's nobody there. Yeah. And we wait, and our boat shows up. It's a mm -hmm. private boat. And he, he gets to the dock, and he basically says, hurry, the police. Yeah. So we jump on the boat. We're out of there. Yeah. Quickly. Uh, and then we arrive at a private dock on the other side. So we don't go to the public dock. It we was go. an expedition to organize this. Yeah, it was. Just, yeah. It, was. it was a quite a lot of effort on our shaman's part. Yes. And he deserves a lot of credit. Yes. Um, we're hoping to have him on the show soon. Yes. So we'll give it to him there. 
Uh, he's a great guy. And it was in our minds, it, don't, it happened like this. We, the boat never stopped. It just sped into this like makeshift kind of like, like there's a little bit of a dock and then there's, you know, just, just like sand. It's yeah. a beach. You just sped, sped into the, in, into the beach. We jumped off, handed our, handed our packs to two porters that were waiting. Yeah. They ran up. The retreat center is like 30 minutes up into the, yes. the jungle. So they just started going. The idea being we don't want anyone to see us with packs yes. because that would suggest we weren't from inside the town yes. and the towns are kind of on lockdown. So they disappear with our packs and then we go up kind of stealthily with our shaman. <laughs> Oh wow! What an entry! It what was. An it entry. was. We got we got praises and applauds at the retreat center when we got there. Yeah, when it, we got there, it felt really badass. I yeah. will have to say, and and it it's definitely true. had a hero's journey element to it because uh, yeah. Joseph Campbell's fond of saying in the hero's journey on the entry and the departure from the special world. So the hero's journey is this like clockwise journey that starts in the ordinary world and you go into the special world. And when you go into the special world the gates of yes and no close right behind you, mm-hmm. almost taking off like the tail of your horse. Yes. And it felt like that. Oh man, <laughs> did, did the gates close on us, you know? And and in a similar way, which we'll get to, the gates closed on us as we tried to return. Yes. Uh, it was just as tough getting yeah. back and just as uncertain. So it was very exciting. <laughs> yeah. I think and honestly once we had made the decision, we were we were okay. We were going. Yeah. Okay, so you've got the mindset. You've got the set part. Now we'll give you the setting a little bit. So uh, the retreat center is 30 minutes up a dirt path that's winding through the jungle in San Marcos. Mm-hmm. We, we go up this pretty large valley a bit up, and it's beautiful. Uh, it's really remote. It was built by Sam. He was a contractor, and now he lives out here full-time. He's from the U.S. He's from the U.S. originally, and he's built this beautiful space with the vision of doing psychedelic healing work. Mm -hmm. He particularly leads uh, mushroom retreats, uh, but there's a lot of ayahuasca retreats that are also led here. And he's pretty selective about who who is able to lead retreat there. Um, And he's built this absolutely beautiful retreat center called Casa de Liberation. La Casa de Liberación. <laughs> Thank you. La Casa de Liberación. <laughs> Are you American or uh, what? Whatever, whatever. <laughs> <De> liberación. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, it's this beautiful, like, you can almost think of it as like a semicircle uh, building. Yeah. And it's three stories, and it just rises out of the jungle. And it has this it's beautiful, maintained grounds. He just finished it. A couple years ago. And uh, you can tell, you always know when a building is done by a contractor. Like when it's a contractor's house. Yes. You know what I mean? Like yes. The, the attention to detail, the simplicity, the beauty. I, I don't know. There's always just like kind of a signature. It's like, oh, this was... This is a contractor's house. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't know how to put it. It's like all the I material. Know what you mean. The material is incredible. Yeah. And so it's a beautiful house. It's huge. And on the bottom level are like kind of dorms and some showers and things we'll like that. We'll link this. his website on the yeah, show notes. You can so, see you pictures. Can, so you guys can go see the pictures. Oh, you should. It's insane. It's, it's amazing. And the second level is basically where the work is done. So the second level, you can kind of, it's kind of like a, 
It's kind of like a chalet, but it's an indoor space. It's a temple. It's a, it's temple. a temple. That's, That's the best way to put it. Yeah. And you go up a spiral staircase, a gorgeous kind of spiral staircase. Which, uh, let me tell you, when you go down them, still high on the medicine, oh, wow. it's, it feels like you're exiting a special realm and yeah. you're going back into the normal Yeah, they realms. kind of unfold, you know, yeah. like they're kind of palatial. Oh, yes. And underneath so. them are some plants and some black lights oh, yeah. and, and like a sun and a moon. It's, it's just a really cosmic space. And uh, so you go up the spiral staircase that's spiraling around what? A tree trunk. Uh. Spiraling around a tree trunk. So, and you get up to the temple and it's like hardwood floors. You kind of think of an in- indoor yoga studio. It's yeah, kind of like that. It's like that. You, it's got a semicircle that's facing the lake and the jungle. Windows. You're kind of at a canopy level. Mm-hmm. So you can just see the lake or you can just see kind of like the mountains. Yeah, I'm not sure you can even see the you lake. You don't really see the lake. But you can, well. you can see the volcanoes and you're, you're kind of at like canopy, mid canopy level at uh-huh. this point. And it has a massive balcony, uh, which gets sun and shade. There's nice shade under an avocado tree. There's palongs. So there's places to sit and rest. It's a beautiful balcony. One end of it meets the kitchen so that you can eat on stools outside. This open, the kitchen kind of opens up. And uh, on the inside, you have this beautiful kind of space, the temple, where where, uh, we'll be doing the ayahuasca ceremonies. There's a beautiful acoustic to this room. Mm. It's done very well. And if you stand in the right spot, you can hear a a pretty crazy echo of your own voice. And on the ceiling, and you should go to the website to see a picture of this, is a massive mandala. It's a beautiful kind of fractal geometry. uh, Psychedelic art. art, uh, And it takes up a large portion of the ceiling. Yeah. And it just looks like this portal almost. And it's crazy. really sets the tone for the room. And the the semicircle facing the deck is all glass windows. Mm. And inset into the ceiling are black lights, uh, if you want those. And then a, around the kind of perimeter of the room is uh, more mood lighting, yeah. which, is, which is mainly what we use. And then uh, there's also connecting kitchen, and then you could continue up There's the also a toilet on yeah. that level, which is great. Yeah, very necessary. And then you continue up those stairs, and Sam has a beautiful open bedroom. Oh, my God. That has a we view. only went to his bedroom once because we, we ended up watching the sunrise from his deck, and it's insane. He's got, like, a fireplace, a king-size bed, a magnificent bathtub a in a bathroom. Like just to die for. A palace. Yeah. His place is incredible, and we felt so much gratitude for being able to stay there for the, the time of our retreat. It felt like a haven. We got there, barely escaped the da- the doors, you know, like they closed on the tail of our horse and we just got there like... <gasps> Last breath. <We're> here. <gasps> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. It, it was a breath of fresh air. And as soon as you got there, you're like, oh, I can relax. I'm and somewhere safe. At, at that point, it was clear we'd made the perfect decision. Like this, the, if we still had doubts, this was the moment where I knew, oh, okay, we made a great decision to come here. Yeah. So the structure of the retreat was, it was a week long and we were going to do four ayahuasca ceremonies over the course of a week. That's a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot. Yes. The, Even by people, like experienced people's standards, that's that's a lot. It's a pretty intensive retreat. The last retreat I had done was three days and it was two, two ceremonies and that gave me enough for five years. Yes. So... <laughs> <laughs> this was a lot. Uh, and basically, uh, the first night we got there, we rested. And then 
the way it was set up was uh, uh, we would have breakfast at 10 and then we would have lunch at two. And then the, f- the next two nights, so this would be Sunday night and Monday night, we would have ceremony. Ceremony would start at eight officially. 7.30. we meet right. at 7.30, but we drink at eight. Yeah. Uh, before this, actually, we would, uh, we would for those of us on dieta, uh, we would drink a, diet, a special dieta tea. We'll get into that in a minute. We'd start ceremony. We'd gather around 7.30, start at eight. It would go till around two or three in the morning, depending on the night. And then depending on the medicine, <laughs> yeah. you, you might be up for another few hours before getting to bed, hopefully before sunrise. Yeah. And uh, then again, and this is why breakfast was at 10 mm-hmm. the next day. And then after the first night, after breakfast, we would do a, a kind of sharing circle, which would start with some sound healing. Usually they would work with singing bowls, yes. uh, so the crystal singing bowls. And then uh, after a little while, we would gather around in a circle and we would share our experience and kind of try to integrate what we what we were learning and working on. So that was the general structure. So we'd go two nights in a row ceremony, and then we had a day off. And then we did two more nights ceremony, and then the final day off. And, and then the day after that was the day we left. Yeah. I just want a side note here about the group circles that we did. We ended up being four participants to the retreat. So you and I and then two other women who were already in Guatemala. They had been there for since November, I think, both. And then there were four facilitators. So Sam, who owns the place, Michael, who was a student, and then our shaman, Zach and Jess. And one thing that I particularly loved about the group circles, and I'll just insert it here, is that everyone shared their experience the previous night. So it, it felt really good to I don't know there's something about the way those Zach and Jess the shamans were just holding the space so like tightly and at the same time being able to share and be vulnerable themselves that was absolutely mind-blowing to witness as facilitators ourselves this was extremely inspiring Mm. on the nights where we had ceremony we didn't have dinner Um, you'll understand why that was soon yes a few other things Sam had a beautiful temezcal. Mm-hmm. Uh, temezcal is like a, the equivalent would be a Native American sweat lodge. Yeah. Probably a lot smaller. Uh, it's kind of a circular uh, stone. It's a little womb area. Yeah. It's beautiful. It's kind of like a sauna. Yeah. Um, and you pour water on the rocks and go through uh, steams, yes. basically. So we did that on, I think, the first day yeah. as well, which was great. And also near the end. But uh, I wasn't able to make it for that one for mm-hmm. reasons you will soon learn about. <laughs> <laughs> Teaser. Yeah. Stick around for this. Stick around for that. You uh, don't want to miss it. Yeah. And really quickly, I just felt like, oh, wow, this is going to be great. Yeah. Uh, it was a very intimate group. We were the newbies, really, there. Yes. You had never done ayahuasca. I had done it just over a course of one retreat. Yes. Uh, but everyone else had been working with it more extensively. I think the minimum for anyone else there was probably around 20 ceremonies. Yes. Somewhere close to that. 12 and, or 15 maybe at least. And Zach has clocked an impressive somewhere in the neighborhood of 1,500 ceremonies. Yes. And and just perhaps around 400. Yes. Um Incredible. That's mind-blowing. Incredible. When you know what a ceremony entails, you just it, it's impossible to wrap my head around this. It's mind-boggling. Maybe we can talk about the ceremonies before we go into Dieta. Okay, so the structure of the ceremony. 
So the ceremony would uh, we would gather around seven thirty, and officially would start at eight. Jess would lead us through a meditation first to bring us into the body, uh, yeah. and and di- she did different meditations every night. Uh, they would work around the chakras yes. uh, usually, and I found them very helpful actually for particularly working with ayahuasca, mm-hmm. the kind of breathing exercises and visualizations that I was able to bring into working with the medicine later. Uh, so they were really, really great. Yeah, yeah. And from there, uh, there was a lot. I mean, ceremony is the right word because this came from Zach studied in a particular tradition. Uh, I forget the name of this tradition. When he comes on, he can share it with us. In the jungle in Peru, and he spent four and a half years down there intensively studying this with his with his master teacher. Yeah, maestro. Maestro. So it follows kind of strict protocol mm-hmm. in a way. And so kind of what would happen next was that Icaros would be sung. And Icaros are healing songs that actually come from the plants themselves. And they're beautiful. Yes. And each shaman kind of has his own repertoire of Icaros. Some are shared collectively, yes. although they may sing them in very different ways. And not, honestly... They sing them differently every time yeah. because they come differently depending on the medicine and, and all these things. You may have an Icaro that comes from a particular plant that only you have dieted. Yes. Uh, so this is part of the diet thing. Is as a shaman, you start to hear the songs of the plants. And as a shaman, uh, you bring these songs into the ayahuasca ceremonies and you use these uh, to help other people do their work and to work through energies and all sorts of reasons. Uh, they come up and maybe you don't even know why you're called to sing a song but a large part of ceremony is Icaros they are constantly going through the ceremony all the way to the end they sing them into the ayahuasca drink before we drink it because to to just lift up any residual like any stagnant energies and then they pour the drinks for everyone and it's funny because everyone has a different reaction to it uh some people really don't like it and uh oh I just even of, thinking about yeah, it yeah no just gag. thinking about it i'm like oh but I, every time that i've come up to drink my my own i kind of enjoy it still oh, i think gosh. i'm on my way to not enjoying it anymore but it's really deep uh it's pungent it has a depth of flavor that is really hard to describe with with any ingredients that we might know it's like a deep purple kind of viscosity viscous luckily the ayahuasca is pretty concentrated so you get like an ounce shot of it uh, which is great because when i first drank it i was getting like a nice tall glass yeah and you said there were twigs in it yeah there's twigs and berries i know yeah uh so <laughs> so, so this um, was great. Yeah, yeah. Um, and maybe to just set the scene, we're sitting in a circle. Everyone oh, has yeah. a map. In the beginning, you're sitting facing each other, and there's a mesa, or what's called a mesa, in the middle of the room, which is basically a cloth or a tapestry with a lot of sacred objects on it. So imagine crystals, it's like an altar, an altar. Yeah, eagle talons, all sorts of like shamanic voodoo stuff. Also, like statues, Krishna, Shiva. You know, like these. Like Buddhist stuff, whatever has power for them, and some of these, some of these pieces have been with them since their first or early ceremonies. Yes. So it's charged with energy and power, and 
and actually everyone but us also had their own personal mesas. Yes. Uh, well, I think in this case you call it you don't call it a mesa. Okay. I think the mesa is what's at the center yeah, they had and their own the personal altars. altars. Yes, yeah, yes. where they had their own sacred objects yes. and, and things. Pictures or whatever yeah, well, is important, like whatever is grounded. Tarot card to reading you. for that day, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, so whatever is going to get you through. And so you have you imagine you have a, a mat and you have your your little um altar and then the other very important piece of equipment that you have is your bucket and you have a nice little bucket this is a moment where i would like to insert a disclaimer for anyone out there if you're eating or if any conversation about physical purging is uh, difficult for you maybe take a break and come back to this later because a lot of what ayahuasca does has to do with that yeah we're gonna be talking about bodily fluids <laughs> <laughs> It happens. Yeah. It's normal. A lot, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's... So, everyone gets a bucket. There's a beautiful centered altar. And then the facilitators are all sitting. So, Zach and Jess are in the middle, like absolute gods. And, uh, f- frankly, when you're in the medicine, for me, I just looked up and they oh, just Oh, man, it's like powerful. It's, and behind them, you have these massive, the glass windows that look outside in that night you have this cosmic scene because you just have beautiful stars and you can see them through the window. And so I'll get into this later, but sometimes you'd be in the medicine doing the work and you look up and there's a shaman sitting and behind him is just the galaxy. Yeah. And then you're just like, this is too much. And behind them, like before the glass, are two massive gongs. Massive. Massive gongs. Massive gongs. Massive. Ma- <laughs> and, and so like the and in front of them is this is this altar of shamanic objects and like crystals with like massive eagle talons. Yeah. And then and at some point you have to come up and sit up at this altar oh every night. God. And there's particular large crystals that are pointed in an arrow toward you. And You'll be fa- you'll be in the medicine just like literally like helicoptering, like swooning because the medicine is so heavy and so yeah, strong. Yeah. It's like it's like a blanket on you, a psychedelic blanket. And uh, you're like, at one point, I I came up to the altar <laughs> and I sat the first night. I was so. <laughs> Sam next to me later told me. I'm glad he told me this later because I, I didn't know how I felt about hearing it. But he's like, I wasn't sure if you were gonna have a psychotic break, man. And I was like. Oh, really? That's how. That's where I was, huh? Because <laughs> I'm jumping ahead a little bit here, but because I took a very strong dose, and that first night, night I was I was like swaying and like. So hold on, let me just give more context for the for what you're about to share. Is the ceremony goes on? They sing songs for you, and they they there's music going on all night long, basically, which is like so deeply healing and powerful and sometimes excruciatingly intense uh but it's part of the work and it's part of how they do the work and then so at this point at this point we've taken the medicine you you drink the medicine yes uh, and then you go back and 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 ceremony consists of either sitting up on your mat or lying down with your head facing the the mesa yes and that's basically it you just need to be with the medicine and and there's a lot to that but and they're singing Icaros, yes, singing songs and playing a lot of different instruments. If you're familiar with sound healing, it's a large element of that that's going on yeah. during ceremony. 
And then it gets near the end, which so is called Ventiadas. Yeah, it's so it, well, Ventiadas are, are songs that they come and sing to you to help you cleanse and clean out and, and kind of like help you wrap up some of the work you've been doing or sometimes open up some of the work you need yeah, to do. Or help you So purge. you can yeah. call for help and someone will come and usually sing a ventiada and do something that they call a sopla, which I can't describe on, on a podcast. You, you, it's and basically I, a clearing of energy. Clearing of energy. That's a great way to describe it. But basically near the end, there is a time where they light the candles because, oh yeah, we forgot to mention this. After you drink the medicine, they, they turn, turn off the lights it's and the it's dark. dark for the entire ceremonies and for anyone out there who has taken psychedelics, I think that was one of my freakiest parts beforehand. I was just like, there's no way that I, I'm going to survive being in the dark. This sounds really scary. And it was the first night was really scary for me because of it. But there's anyways, a lot of unknowns. That's, yeah. that's part of it. And so near the end, they light candles at the, at the Mesa and Michael, the student will come to each of us and sing a ventiada for each of us. So he will like sit down and you got to imagine those people, they have like instrument, not music stuff. They have like feathers. Michael had a beautiful owl wing that was just extended that he would use to like wind you and just get They brain. use particular uh, perfumed water, um, which is Agua traditional. Flora, it's called yes. aguaflora. And so they're using a lot of this. There's a lot of scents going on. There's a lot of, they, they use stuff to protect themselves from energies because, mm -hmm. and then they sit down, they take in your energy kind of gouge. And then ayahuasca will basically sing a song through them because that's what the Icaros are, yeah. is ayahuasca is guiding them to sing songs. Or it may like be a it, different plant. Yes. It doesn't have to be ayahuasca, but it could yes. be another plant singing a song through them. Yes. And and so they sing a song. He sings a song for you. So that's kind of the first wrap-up, basically, of your night. Um, and they will have turned the candles on by this point. Yes. So now candles will be on. Yes. And then when you've received the ventiata from Michael... You don't turn you, candles on. You, 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 light, candles, you light candles. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it was just echoing my head. It's like, you don't turn on a candle. <laughs> and then once Michael is sang to you, you go up to the altar where you will be, you can lie down, you can, you can also uh, sit up, but you will be facing, in the case where you're not too lost in the medicine, you will be facing the shamans and they the will sing their own ventiladas, which... Is, are a different kind of powerful. Yeah, uh, and it's intense. mandatory too. It's, you have to go up there. Yes, or crawl up there or whatever. And yes. sometimes you do crawl. And so the first night, I think I just wanted to give context yeah. because the first night, Alistair was so I was lost, lost <laughs> that they had to tell him he needed to go up there. So he did, and then he went up there, and I was seeing it. I was also really intensely in the medicine, but I just saw him. He sat down. With, the, with his back to Backwards. the shaman. I sat down 180 degrees <laughs> the wrong way. And, and I sat down and like, I was sitting for a little while and I was like, oh, and I had and to turn around. He, no, but the, yeah. And then you turned around and because Michael was singing something else, they were waiting for him to be done for them, for the shamans to sing your song to you. And because you had been waiting for two minutes or something, you thought that you were done. And so you got up and left. And then they were like, Alistair, no, you need to come back. You're not done. They had to call me back. I was so funny. I had no idea what was going on. I had no idea. It's so disoriented. All right. Oh, and anyway, so to wrap up the, the, the structure of the ceremony, after everyone has got their ventiadas 
sung to them, both by Michael and by uh, Zach and Jess at the altar, the ceremony is over. They thank everyone. So Zach or Jess will thank, you know, everyone who participated in the retreat, every entity, spirits, guides, everything, gods, all these things. And then they will say the ceremony is over. The work is now done. And the first night, a part of me thought that when they said that, the medicine would stop, that I would kind of regain some form of consciousness and be able to go to bed. Turns out that for me, the medicine kicked in even harder after the, the ceremony was over. And I was like, the work is not done. He's lying. <laughs> He's lying. <laughs> yes. I, I, I made the mistake that first night of telling Zach that it took me two cups the first time I took ayahuasca. Yes to really feel it. And I didn't feel it very much the first night. Yes. And so he's like, oh, I know, th- I know that pattern. <laughs> and so he gave me a lot the yeah. first night. And I was in between a state of like being there and being possessed, like where I was like acting unconsciously. Oh, there are times it, where you're just not there. Yeah. And like, <laughs> your mind is <sighs> like where, where you're digest. doing these really like wide helicopter circles with your head. Yes. And like, you're kind of like rocking Apparently, back and forth. they were saying medicine. Ayahuasca is a medicine that does that quite a bit. Like it, it, it will kind of throw you around. Yeah, it can knock uh, you around quite a bit. So, which is even more fascinating to see all the, the, the shamans and, and the facilitators up at the altar just sitting up straight and singing songs all night. I'm like, I can barely drink. Yeah. I can barely water my mouth. Because you know? the shamans are also drinking the same amount as us. Yes. Uh, yes. or, or everyone's kind of getting their they're, own personalized They're, they're getting amount, their own amounts, but they're in they're, the same state as us. They're drinking ayahuasca as well. Um, another thing to mention for ceremonies is you're not allowed to drink or eat during ceremony. There will, there are snacks that come out after, and you can drink after ceremonies. You, you can only use water to rinse your mouth, but you cannot swallow water yes. uh, during ceremony. So ceremony will go to two, two three. It's usually five to six hours I, it depends on how many people are in the circle for us it was five yeah. to six hours yeah and then at the end you might have a snack you might go outside and just kind I of doing stare at the stars really yeah. talk with people a little bit or you might go straight to bed or try to take a shower or whatever we've been told that if you want to have a shot at sleeping you need to take a shower which yeah, we did cold every, shower every time is, I, is did best. Cold I did the first that's, night that's we the last thing before we can go into more of our our actual experience is you wanted to talk about dieta. Yeah, dieta is one other thing that's that's worth laying out because it's an ex- there's, there's so there's two levels of dieta. There's the dieta that everyone's on be, for ayahuasca because ayahuasca requires certain a certain diet. So beforehand, pork is a big no no. So seven like a week before you have to cut out pork. This go this extends. After the retreat, too. Yes. So for a month after, you can't eat pork. Pork doesn't go well with ayahuasca yeah, for whatever we've, reason. We've been told, uh, Zach told us that his shaman told us it's because pork carries the soul of the devil. Which, yes. honestly, we've come back and I really, every time I thought about having pork, even, I know I can't right now, so I'm not. But every time I thought about it, something is like, no, no, no. Don't do it. Yeah. No, I don't feel like it. So red meat, um, you can't have three days before. Uh, and during. And, and then also during. And no sex for, I think it's the week before. I think it's like three days before. And a week after and, and during. Something like and this that. This includes masturbation. Uh, and no sexual activity. No sexual that's activity, the, yeah. That's the exact word. Uh, no intoxicants for a week before and a month after. And no medication. 
uh, unless it's absolutely required. Yes. Um, so no Tylenol, no, no medication. Yes, which is already pretty much our lives. I mean, you have thyroid medication that you take every day, which is essential. But yeah. besides Otherwise that, we that, don't really we don't. take yeah. medication. Ever. So that is the more standard diet which is everyone is on. Yes. Then there's the shamanic diet. And this was my first time doing the shamanic diet, which basically is that you're going to diet a plant, a particular plant, with while you're doing the ceremonies. Uh, in this case, it was tuari, which is a jungle tree. Zach's tradition or shaman's tradition is particularly in dieting trees. Yeah, they tree work barks. with trees quite a yeah, lot. Yeah, they work with trees. So. And so what that means, dieting a tree, because that can seem really abstract if you don't know, it means that basically for a set period of time, you are going to drink the tea made from the bark of that tree or, or made from that plant every day for that set period of time. Yeah. And so I think a minimum is four days, which is how many we did. And you, we would drink it at 5.30 in the evening, so a couple hours before ceremony. And this this diet can extend for months or even longer. But it depends on your tradition, where you're doing yeah. it. Uh, uh, if you're studying to be a shaman in Peru, I believe a lot of the diets you're doing are outside of the context of ayahuasca ceremonies. You will do your dieta and then you will do ceremonies, yeah. but it's kind of separate. And as Zach has liked to remind us from time to time, if you want to become a shaman, it's not ayahuasca, ayahuasca, ayahuasca. It's dieta, dieta, dieta. Because yes. this is how you channel the powers of the plants. And the way he kind of described it to us, the way of thinking about it, it's kind of two ways. Is One, you can think about it as you're recruiting these plants as allies so that you can call on them in the future. Mm-hmm. Or... The plants are helping you work through particular energies inside of you already and cleanse yourself so that you won't resonate with them when you come up against them in the outside world. Mm-hmm. Two different ways of the same kind of idea here. But basically, you're, you're, you're tapping into the power of the plant. And so to finish the diet, you're going to eat very simple for the entire week. So basically, it's all white foods. It's like it's eggs, it's chicken. It's cauliflower, potatoes. plantain, potatoes, cucumbers, carrots, no salt, no spices. It's a very, 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 very bland diet. You use no cosmetics, no soap, no toothpaste, nothing. Uh, coconut oil is allowed, but other than that, uh, you can't use anything. The idea behind this, from what I understand, is to remove as much distractions as possible on a mental level, but also on a sensory level so that your body can further acquaint with the plant. Yeah, so you can develop a connection with the plant. So I didn't choose to do that this time around. There's one other aspect to dieta, which is that you have no contact with the outside world while you're on dieta as well. So it's all really meant to make you focus. You chose not to do it this time because it's your first time. Wise choice, I will say. Uh, I... uh, Kind of underestimated it. I was like, ah, you know, not a big deal. I think a part of me was like, come on, it's just drinking a tea. But I was like, no, I'm really not feeling like I should do this. It sounds like a lot in one go. It's really hard on your body, particularly because you're getting no salt for a week. Mm -hmm. So your body doesn't have that ability to retain things. Gosh, you get get so heavy, Mm. so heavy. There's headaches that come. You work through a lot of stuff. It's There's, a very cleansing process. Yeah. They say, Zach and Jess on their podcasts, uh, they mention that if you have a specific 
condition uh if you're working with ptsd if you're working with i don't know like being an alcoholic or addictions or stuff like that they seem to say that in their tradition they will tend to prescribe you a dieta rather than ayahuasca Mm -hmm. because dietas and different plants different trees will have different effects but they are extremely cleansing and clearing and and like so the properties of tuari for example are that it's antiviral antibacterial supposedly can help with cancer to some degree uh it's also antifungal i think um this they picked it because of the, the virus going around. We ended around. up, everyone ended up drinking the tea, even the ones who were not dieting it. Yeah. Uh, so we had the tea for the medicinal purposes, but you were connected on, yeah. on a different level. And if you're a shaman, like you said, uh, if people come to you, you need to have dieted a lot of plants because this is probably going to be the, your first move is to recommend that they diet a plant. Yes. Uh, and if you haven't dieted it, you can't really make that recommendation. And so as you develop these relationships with different plants, you will know intuitively what plant may help based on someone's energy patterns, based on something they're working through emotionally, physically, you know, yeah. whatever. So this is a major component of shamanism. Yeah. And another aspect of it from the shaman's perspective is that they hear songs from the plants. And as you diet the different plants, you can connect to the spirit of a plant without dieting it, Mm -hmm. but you will have a stronger connection typically if you have dieted it. And then you will have more access to being able to call that spirit into the space or to work with that spirit in ceremony if you have a relationship with it. And so uh, kind of what seems to happen is that as you start dieting, plants, and you'll do many of these diets if you're going to go on the shaman's path, the plants will start presenting their songs to you. Mm -hmm. And these will become part of your repertoire that you'll use in ceremony, that you'll use for all sorts of purposes for helping the people you're guiding and that you're, you're working with as a shaman. So it has a lot of purposes. And I will say, having gone on dieta, I get it. It makes a lot of sense and it is really powerful. And it's, wow, is it interesting to develop a relationship like that with a plant? Yeah. Like with a non-psychoactive plant too, in a way. Yes. Um, because ayahuasca is one thing. She She's she's pretty direct. Like she she's shows up. <laughs> but I was able to develop a relationship like with Tawari and to see the difference in their energies mm. and the difference in their personalities and the, and the different lessons and kind of messages they would share was really really something Mm -hmm. and wow like Tawari had such a old tree spirit like for me it was a very fatherly very kind very insightful very wise he would end he would come into my like I I would be in the middle of uh the medicine and I would he would allow me to have an insight he's very gentle and he would like allow me to have an insight and I'd be like wow and this big insight would flash. And then Tawari would come in and just say a simple sentence that was like profound and deep. And like basically that would hint at the fact that he understood that insight. And then he would like drive it five times deeper uh-huh. than, the, than the insight originally was. Yeah. And like just like something pr- like profound, simple, and subtle. Mm. And Tawari would... Uh, really catch me off guard and do that quite a bit kind of trick he was always a little like tricky in that way where he would come in let me have the insight and then he'd just really drive it home Mm -hmm. and it was a lot of fun uh getting to know him 
So if the dieta process is interesting to you, obviously we're not experts. We can, we are going to link the podcast episode by Zach and Jess on dieta uh, in the show notes that you can find as always at the com. So something we wanted to touch on also before we kind of give also, we can't give you, we can't tell you what the experience was like really in depth. This is kind of the point of this work is you have to experience it. It's lived experience. We're going to do our best to yeah. try to share, but it pales in comparison. And, and like don't, words are so lame. Don't take that. our insights for yours. Yes. Uh, these are just reports from, from the field. Just from sharing the our experiences. It's really something that has to be lived. And even an insight that is true and shared, it's not really that meaningful it's really the you really have to live these experiences and that's where the wisdom and that's where the healing and that's where the teaching really comes from it's on a bodily level Uh, it's crazy but before we can kind of share more we would like to share what our experience in these psychedelic realms have been yeah i think this will just help people get some bearing about what we're coming in with yes um i think there's a couple areas of experience that really help so one of them is other psychedelic experience because yeah. then you just, you know, they're all very, this is a very different, like you said earlier, I'm hesitant even to use the word psychedelic because I feel like it kind of misnames it. Oh, that's totally not right. Yeah. yeah. I know. It, it is a psychedelic. Feel. The the main compound in it is DMT, although it's a vine. And I think there, there's a, there's a lot going on there. It's I wouldn't say it's just DMT. Yeah. Yeah. But that seems to be one of the most main psychoactive compounds. Um, so what were some of your experiences, maybe in yeah, preparing so you for this? In order I've had extensive. You, yeah. I think at this point, I would call it fairly extensive experience with LSD. I've worked with that substance quite a bit in the past. Mm-hmm. I've also worked with mushrooms. I'd say a fair amount, but uh, but less. And I also have experience with uh, wachuma and salvia and MDMA. So, uh, and as you said, also you had two ceremonies of ayahuasca and two ceremonies of ayahuasca. So I would say at this point that I'm definitely not a beginner in the psychedelic realm. Um, I've helped lead other people through psychedelic experiences, and I have a fairly good toolkit for dealing with psychedelic experiences and going through those those yes. journeys. And actually, you know what? A lot of it came from my first experience in Peru and really learning how ceremonies were led, not just ayahuasca ceremonies, but uh, also Rachuma ceremonies and the reverence and the attitude of healing and the mindset. That changed how I approached all psychedelics. Mm-hmm. And I, since then, uh, really have changed my approach from, you know, I would say earlier on in my life, I did them very recreationally. Yeah. And now I would say that um, I do them in a much more spiritual fashion or um, in a more healing modality. There's more of, I think, a more of intention involved mm-hmm. and a bit more respect. Yeah, my experiences are actually quite limited. Uh, although I've had a lot of experience working with cannabis, which I can, I, it's not a psychedelic, but that is one of my kind of personal relationships with plants in, in one way. On the psychedelic front, I've really, I've always felt called to them but I've never had the good opportunities. And I always thought, I'm not going to rush this. I'm just going to wait until it's the right time. And boy, am I glad I did. Because 
I really, I've had all in all, I've, I've had two MDMA experiences in my life. One was recreational. Another one was deeply healing. I've had two, two and a half LSD experiences, both with you. And they have been, I can't, uh, so beautiful and healing and amazing and such potent work was done. And I I took mushrooms twice, but I think every time I took not enough of them, and so I gave, I ended up having a, a slight something happening, but and it was never done in a healing uh, mm. thing. So my experience was very limited, but every my experiences with LSDs LSD have been extremely uh, impactful, and I was very curious curious to go and sit with ayahuasca and. So this is something like before we decided to go, I run in circles where a lot of people uh, have done ayahuasca and have worked with it. And so I heard things like, oh, I sat with the medicine or, oh, yes, I was deep in the medicine. And and I just saw those people are just trying to pretend like it's, you know, they're trying yeah. to make a trip like a, 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 a an LSD trip sound better. Or I don't know. It just yeah. it felt a little off for me. It didn't really completely resonate. And boy, did I understand on the first night it really struck me because I think that's what we do, right? As humans, we like to compare. And so it really was intensely just mind-blowing for me to compare the, the feeling of ayahuasca versus the feeling of LSD. And it really put it in contrast. And while I still think LSD is great, it's a chemical, like it's, a, it's an artificial compound. It's like it doesn't feel organic or real or, li or live, Ayahuasca is just like it's a vine and it takes you into so many depths and it just it feels so it feels like a grandmother or a mother. It has that energy to it and it feels the first night I really felt like I drank it and it went deep into my cellular level and it just established camp you know like ground there and as like, I'm here to stay baby. I'm uh, I'm here to stay and I think it really hit me that this is not, it, it might act as a psychedelic, but it's, it's medicine. It, it really is medicine. Like it's, uh, it's, and our shamans, they say that that's all they use pretty much. Like that's when they have something come up, which is, doesn't seem to be that often. Uh, it, it's hard to really communicate this faith in ayahuasca as medicine um, or this belief in ayahuasca as medicine like if if you haven't done it, and if you're coming from a Western paradigm mm. where uh, it's a drug, yes, I, it's really hard to. And I, but I think if you were to have the experience, you it's you see it very quickly. It's oh, like geez. no, this is that's not a that that term doesn't work very well. Uh, this is medicine, and it's uh, there's kind of different phrases that are used during the work, which is like ayahuasca always gives you what you need, mm -hmm. and Everything, everything that you do in this is really considered healing work. It's really about releasing levels of energy and trauma. Um, this is where the purging comes in yes. as well. Like the purging, they have a saying, Native, Native Americans somewhere have a saying. <laughs> so, so the people who worked yeah. with ayahuasca originally. No, said, these weren't, these no. weren't ayahuasca. No, no, they were working with peyote or something else. Uh, but, okay. but they they would say... You know, we say getting sick when you purge, mm -hmm. and they would say getting well. That sounds like a really uh, simple flip, 
but it's pretty radical. Yes. Uh, when you really kind of uh, start to see it that way, that's a really, really radical shift. Mm-hmm. And I think it's warranted. Ayahuasca will help you get well, but there can be a lot of purging and there is a lot of purging. And as you when, once you're on the medicine, it's almost like if you kind of imagine Neo in the Matrix. Yes. And you know that part when he's getting programmed, like he's yeah. getting prepared and he's learning jujitsu and all these different things, and they hook him his head up yes, yes. to the back, and then he's like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> and then all this, sh- all this shit is downloading, right? Yes. It's like that. It's like that. It's like that. And and you don't know exactly what you're downloading. You're getting all this information and it's going into your cells and into your bones. I had this feeling the second night mm-hmm. that uh, I basically had swallowed a snake. And there was a snake that was slithering around in my stomach. But in, you said it didn't feel guts. scary. No, it wasn't scary. Okay. It wasn't scary. It's going to probably freak people out, but it was. it wasn't scary. The snake was... For my own good, it was ayahuasca. Ayahuasca is a, is a, it's pretty snaky medicine because it's a vine, yeah. so it can, it, ha, it can have that approach. I never, while I had some hints of it during my four ceremonies, it never really uh, completely like hit me in the face like that. It was like, for me, it was there was a snake. Like I, you look down at my stomach, and my stomach's moving around like there's mm. a snake in it, and like my. I was starting to look at my skin on my arms and it was starting to to move like a serpent. Yeah. And like I was becoming a snake. Yeah. And at times, uh, because my lips were becoming chapped because you couldn't drink water, I had to lick my lips. And it was so strange because it wasn't me licking my lips. There was a snake that was coming out of my mouth and and like doing very snake-like gestures like around my lips. And then wriggling its way back down my throat into my gut. I don't know how many people are actually still listening right now. Because that, that can be, like, outside of that medicine space where it makes sense, yeah. it probably is pretty scary. It, it was actually really comforting yes. uh, in a way. It, and But there's this sense that the medicine is working on you in, in every way. And that everything that's happening, whether you're purging, whether you have diarrhea, whether you're in physical pain your emotional pain, that this is the medicine working to help you release these things. And there's an idea in the medicine that is uh, you only do the work once. I think this is a good place. I was raised by two doctors in the Western paradigm. And I think something we see a lot in our in our medical approach to, to disease and, and ailments is uh, suppress the symptoms. If you suppress the symptoms, then you suppress the disease. Uh, this is very dangerous thinking. This is actually the opposite of what you're doing. You're actually making probably the disease worse and and sink in at a deeper level if yeah. you're uh, uh, suppressing the symptoms. A, a great example would be anti-diarrhea medicine. Yes. If you have diarrhea when your, your body's body trying, to trying to flush to, you out yes. and you plug yourself up, that's super dangerous. That is, that is really uh, deeply upsetting to me. But it's in this work... And I'm glad that I came to this work with already so much understanding of this and having done so much deconstructing work around healing. Uh, but this work is the opposite of what Western medicine, medicine considers healing, because what it does is it makes it makes you more sick by Western standards, although it is making you well. And I think it's maybe, bringing the symptoms to the surface, it's bringing things to the surface to be seen and released. In, in, that's how you yeah. that's how you heal on a deeper level and i think 
this is a good place to talk about purging because I had gone into this work thinking, oh, you have to vomit. That's like a part of it. And and I think it is a big part of it. A lot of people, that's their experience. Not just at the beginning either after you drink the medicine, but like throughout the night at different times. Yes. And I think it's actually also something that as you learn how to open up mm-hmm. uh, and relax into your body, at least is my thinking, is that it comes, it, it comes easier. And you're able to not try to push down the purge. Yes. Which I don't know how many of you are comfortable with purging, but it's actually like it's it's a I don't purge very often. Like yeah. I don't throw up, and and I try not to. Yeah, you know. Yeah, you. Tr- yeah, I know. It's kind of the. It's it's the. It's this paradigm of. Yeah. We try not to. So it's There's actually like wrong. relaxing into a body and allowing these things to come up naturally. And, yes. And when as needed, it's a big part of it. So you may be purging. People are purging all throughout the night. And yes. The weirder stuff going on is that people are purging for other people. Yeah. At times, the energy is jumping around the room, and uh, particularly the shamans will be purging for people who may cannot, maybe cannot purge, or who have really strong energies. The first night, I went up for my ventiadas, and this was still when I was like getting through the cold and a lot of stress from like business stuff, from the pandemic, family stuff, from uh, like yeah. like so much stress. I went up to do like to receive my ventiata from from our shaman, and he just he just started retching mm. like and like he had my no. cough yeah. for a minute yeah and he got finished and he looked at me and he's like whoa you are holding a lot of stress man yeah and <laughs> and <laughs> you feel a little better now yeah and uh, it was really clear that. Some of that energy jumped to him. Yeah, and it is pretty clear when when someone's purging for you or when you're purging for someone else. I think what I wanted to say about purging is I didn't experience a lot of vomiting. And I want to make the distinction because I think in the medicine space, we use a lot of the term purging for vomiting. Or you'll say bottom purge for having diarrhea. But there are plenty of other ways to purge that don't involve bodily fluids, although I think it is a really powerful way to purge and a part of me wishes that I would have purged like that a bit more, but you know, I just also trying to accept where I'm at. A lot of my purges had to do with releasing thoughts, releasing memories, like memories that I completely forgotten coming back up and like rising to the surface and leaving, just kind of being handed back off to the, to the, I don't know, the great cosmic mother spirit so that I don't hold them because it really gave me this sense that health, like deep health, comes not from not having any symptoms. It comes from being able to release things as they come up and not hold on to things forever and then create energy blockages in different areas of your body. And I think, I don't know, this might sound really out there. At the same time, this is for our podcast. So, you know, we're I'm trying to, this is not out of, of, of our of our usual repertoire but I think something that was really deep for me and it's something I already believed but it really drove it home for me is this profound wisdom in the body and its ability to do what it needs to do to heal at all times because life wants to live and life wants to live healthy like I I really believe that there is no like our bodies don't want to be sick 
or there's no trick. There is always just trying to gain more health. It just sometimes shows up in a way that is dis disturbing or that might look like a disease or might be called like a disease. Well, what's particularly unhealthy is more, and I think this is why we see this so much with humans in particular, is that we also have consciousness. Like our body is, is actually designed ace. Like yes. it's designed very well yes. to deal with things and, and sort them out. But we also have this kind of problematic issue, which is that, we have consciousness and we can kind of consciously do other yes. than what's best for us. And so we've kind of, we've kind of lost touch with that like bodily instinct, right? Like, and so in this way, we don't face the things we need to, or we suppress them or we ignore them or whatever, because we have that ability. And this, I think is where, uh, unhealth, dishealth mm. or whatever yeah. disease and then disease happens is um is when we don't allow these things to come up flow to flow yeah <laughs> uh, but from so for me uh there's a lot of purging that happened in the more traditional ways um but also uh you mean you, mean you vomited and and pooped yeah Just yeah use, use the right words because okay. I, i i actually feel like it's helpful for me as someone who didn't experience a lot of that to feel like my purges were equally valuable as the ones who were because some people like the other two girls two women on the retreat with us were pros purging pros pros it's funny how like, you start to actually envy people oh, who can purge well my God. On, on retreat it's just, really strange i think this is a good place in this whole you know getting well versus getting sick where I have always been taught that if you get to a point where you're vomiting bile, there's a problem. Like something's really bad. Something's yeah. really broken. If you get to the point where you vomit bile on ayahuasca, it's like people cheer you and applaud yeah. you the next day. Because be you got to a really deep level of stuff you were holding on to yeah. and you released it. And and so you got to go back to this like really radical idea of it's not getting sick, it's getting well. Because everything is... everything is interpreted by the shamans and and the people in the space and you if as getting well. So any any vomiting or any purging or any diarrhea or anything you're going through whether it be emotional or ang anxiety or on the mental level mm -hmm. or on the physical level is considered what you need to go through yes. to get well and that you are working through those things. You are bringing them up and this is your work to do. Everything is kind of seen through that lens. And it's, there is a kind of comforting words at the beginning, like, uh, you may feel like you're dying, but you're not dying. Yeah. You're not going to die. So just go with it. Be with it. Your main job is to be with the medicine. And that turns out to be quite a task. It's a huge leap of faith. It's a huge trust in the deeper wisdom of the body but on different levels of life, of life with a big L, you know, like whatever's happening, trusting that it's all happening for you and not to you or not against you, which is the way we are taught to see yeah, because, what's happening. And, and it, I even found it hard as I started to share this experience outside with uh, close family. And I think they will understand it more now. And I'm sorry, mom and dad, for probably scaring the bejesus out of you. Um, <laughs> And you guys will soon find out why. I, I'm going to leave it for a minute. But I basically told them some of the hardest parts of my trip, mm -hmm. my retreat, uh, first. And it didn't really get the context. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's just really, and I just noticed, and I have it in my own mind, especially when I was being tested, mm -hmm. when I was going through really hard stuff, 
I found, okay, <laughs> it's hard. there's doubts. It's hard. And this is why I really was grateful for our shamans because they really carried this belief and helped me believe it when it was hard for me. Um, but that basically, really what I'm going through right now is for my greatest good. And and you realize like that that is really not how we think about things outside of this kind of space because you share it with them and they're like, you get that look like, oh, you weren't well, or like, mm. oh, you were sick, mm. uh, or like, like something was hurting oh, this, you. Yes, something this was, was hurting you. Some, this was dangerous. This was bad. Yes. You be- you survived. Yeah. Whereas I'm thinking, oh, I got, th- I worked through that. Yes. Like I'm much stronger for it, and I'm grateful that it happened. It's such a different mindset. I think something that really helped me, and and the shaman said stuff like that throughout the retreat as well. But I was talking to a friend of mine before going on the retreat and she was she has sat with the medicine about 15 times, I think. And she was telling me about her experiences and she was giving me some tips or some things that like she found helpful herself. And she said that before she started, she had a huge phobia of snake. And because it is reputed, like it's known to be a pretty snaky medicine, she was afraid that she was going to go into that space and a bunch of snakes were going to come at her, basically. And she told this to, I think, a woman who had extensive experience with ayahuasca at the time. And the woman looked at her with a lot of like kindness and she said, oh, honey, she loves you. And so she said that and that kind of stayed with me and it's still with me because I think this is also one of the reasons why I feel like it was so easy and and I'm sure I will be tested in the future, but why it felt so easy to continue to release and understand that ayahuasca was doing exactly what he needed and that she was not giving me more than I could handle, that she was giving me just enough because she loves me. She's not trying to hurt me. She's medicine. And that's like really deep, deep realization. And I think realizing this because, and this is maybe getting into more personal insights, but something that seems seemed obvious to me when I was on the medicine, especially the first night, was how much everything's connected and how much this medicine just allows you to peel back the layers. And you realize that we have this layer of reality that we think is the only thing. And then you peel it back and there's like 15,000 other layers of realities and depths and that everything's connected. And that if I'm able to believe that this medicine and this process that I'm going through, no matter how painful is for me and that it's coming from a place of love, I can really believe or start to believe that this is also the case at the bigger level of like universe throwing stuff at me, you know, like that's, that's something that really came through for me. I've got a couple of theories here that I want to throw. Go ahead. But, but before I do that, I think I want to help people understand maybe like what the, ex- the subjective experience is like. And I think a w- like if you imagine anger, mm-hmm. okay. Or the, the emotion anger or pick an emotion, whatever you want to imagine. And, like, just kind of tune into it for a second and, like, you know, what it feels like or... or Okay. Now imagine you take that emotion that you've experienced for a second and stretch it so that there's, like, 30 layers of it. Mm. And they all have different meanings and subtleties and connections. And and almost like it just goes on forever yeah. down into a pit and you just see it like, oh, bye. <laughs> and... and <laughs> 
Echoes. I'm yeah. not very good at doing the echo, but yeah. Uh, and, or, and, and so I'm trying to give you an idea of like some of the multidimensional mm. of everything, but like of, of a simple emotion and then an emotional. So it'll have all these depths of meanings that are just like firing off in it's your brain so that you can barely even keep track with and you're definitely not going to remember. And if you try to remember, you're going to obstruct your path exploring the emotion and then before you know oh my god it's turned into sadness when did that happen when did it? <laughs> and it, it's like this circle and all of it, and somewhere it's like the anger goes down 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 somewhere dark and all of a sudden it's sadness and yeah. somewhere down there you know it was connected in some way yeah. and now it's sadness and like oh the sadness and there's the sadness of my ancestors and the sadness of oh my god that event and my inner child and and like all these different yeah. layers and connections and intersections and like when you're deep in the medicine that's going on every moment mm-hmm. and it's taking you through all sorts of so like much. caverns and like the first night like i said the second night i said it was very snaky the first night it was much more cavernous it yeah. was like rooty it was like i was like going roots in like subterranean in a subterranean world and you're like you're going down all these different byways and you're and in a way you could almost think about it as like the de- like as as the cellular process, right? Mm-hmm. It's like it's working through all the cells of your body and it's bringing memories and experiences and emotions and sensations and visions and, and amazing things. Mm-hmm. And it's bringing these things to consciousness. Mm-hmm. Like your body is lit up and you are experiencing and remembering and imagining things. It's it's like a homecoming. It's like, it's not that like these things are new. It's like, Oh my God, how have I forgotten all this? Yeah. Almost. Like it's a, you're coming back to it all. Like it doesn't feel like this is something you're exploring for the first time. It feels like you're coming back to something that, that you haven't paid a lot of attention to almost. And and in this way, um, it's really helpful actually for, and this is one of the reasons why I keep coming back to Carl Jung is because his system of thought that he kind of uh, worked out his his kind of th- concepts and theories, his his view of what's going on in the world. Of course, it's only a model. He'd be the first to tell you he's not explaining it. It's much more complicated than that. But the model of, of what he's kind of come up with to explain some of the things that are happening in the world that he kind of forged in the 20s, uh, really that's when it came to be to light for him. I've never found a system of thought that's been more encompassing of the strange and difficult and just hard to explain experiences in my life, psychedelics being one of them. And Jung has this idea of individuation, which is this idea of basically what we're here to do as individual conscious beings is to individuate, is to become more like, is to become uh, the best individual you can be would be like kind of a way of saying it. But basically it's bringing in uh, bringing in our unconscious material that we can into consciousness and integrating it, therefore helping us build a better conscious understanding, strengthening our conscious abilities, and becoming a more a higher potential individual being, becoming the best we can with, with the individual apparatus we're giving and, and developing that. And I think this theory really dovetails beautifully with an aspect of my experience of how ayahuasca heals, which is that ayahuasca, for me, brings a lot of unconscious things, things that maybe my body's experiencing, maybe memories that have been repressed, fears, patterns, all that stuff. Mm. It 
it brings these things to my attention. And some of the, and in this way, you transmute them, right? Yeah. Like once they come out of the unconscious, you can integrate them into your consciousness, or maybe perhaps you can just let them go, right? You can get, they, they can, they can leave. Um, and I really think that that it's, it's a really helpful way of thinking about it. And I go through some of these, you know, it's not just psychedelics, but psychedelics is definitely one of the rounds where it's just like, I've found almost no one whose theory holds up to kind of some of the things that can happen in this realm. And Jung, I don't think he ever took psychedelics, seems to have some explanations that can encompass or that psychedelics fit very well into in my experience of it. And that's been really powerful. I just want to come back to what you were sharing about homecoming and this sense of coming back to a place that you knew or remembering or that's felt so true for me in, in this space. And I already had a taste of that in the RLSD experiences, but it doesn't feel quite as much as on ayahuasca where, as you said, you know, someone's purging across the room and then all of a sudden someone else is purging. And, and it's kind of like, they call that the purge train. And I was able to see energies jump around the room. I was able to feel how my energy affected the whole room. I was able to know when a particular energy I was feeling wasn't mine. And and beyond anything else, I was able to feel how when the shamans or the facilitators would come towards me to help me with something or to give me my ventiata at the end of the night or whatever, there was so much that was happening. The energy exchange between people and, and, and how thin there is just no veil between you and someone else. It's, it's the contact is so, oh, it's so mind alteringly intense sometimes. And they do something. So they kind of like put some agua flora on their lips and then they blow on you as a way to like clear the energy. And you can feel the energies leaving you. And sometimes I could see the energies leaving me. And it's like, Just sometimes, and I did that a lot. One time I had to have the shaman actually suck an energy out of my belly. Yeah, yeah. That was weird. That I'm sure, I'm <laughs> sure. I mean, I mentioned earlier, they do something at the end of their ventiadas, which is called a sopla, which is basically they kind of like put their hand on top of your head where your crown chakra is, and they like blow in your head, like, <laughs> like, <laughs> like that kind of, and different, different pace, different length, different intentions. My God, it is so intense. It feels like something is like clearing me out it, completely that like my, 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 my energetic center, like where all the chakras live, we're just like clear that completely. And all that to say that whenever I would have a moment where I was semi-conscious and I would look around and see all these things and feel all the energies of everyone, it just became so clear to me, like, this is happening all the time. This is happening all the time. We just don't have the consciousness to witness it most of the time. But this is happening all the time. And when you said homecoming, I'm very interested in the topic of birth and birth, far out birth. Uh, and so one of the things that I hear a lot is that women say that, okay, I left my body. I left my body and I went to the spirit realm 
because women say birth is really psychedelic experience. And if this is something that's interesting to you, I highly recommend the book Spiritual Midwifery by Ina May Gaskin. Uh, she's one of the pioneers of this and it's really cool. It's like a bunch of 60s hippies giving birth in, bu in buses where they used to live before they founded the commune. And they were all so used to the psychedelic realm that they were able to say like things got really psychedelic like birth cat started and so there's this thing of they the women say i left my body to go get my baby in the spirit realm and then bring him back home with me and i think this is what it i for me i think this is why it feels like a homecoming because i don't think it's somewhere i think it's somewhere we've all been because we've all been spirits at one point before we incarnated and we're all returning to that place after And it's really strange and it's a really strange place. But honestly, a part of me, hope, sometimes I wish I could live in that space all the time just because I feel so at home in it. And sometimes it's hard to come back to the real world, but I'm happy I am because I think this is like, this is my purpose. This is why we incarnate. Uh, it is to do shit in the real world and have a body and have yeah. skin. <laughs> the wisdom of the body was definitely a major lesson that was being taught to me in a lot of different ways yeah. over the course of the retreat. Like just learning how to bring attention and love to help me work on my body with my hands, with breathing and things like this. And just like ayahuasca kind of gently saying, you know, you can do this all the time. Mm. You don't need ayahuasca for this. Yeah. And really trying to like show me as if I were a child, like this is how you do this. This is how you do this. And just realizing that I've not had a lot of patience for that in my life and that I've really had an adversarial attitude toward my body and the environment, it really taught me like, you know, I need to, I, I, I need to kind of slow down and spend more time embracing, listening to, inviting my body because I had this vision at one point. It's like, I don't know if you're, if you're familiar with Alex Gray, he does this really psychedelic artwork, uh, but it was kind of in that it that style but I had this vision and I think this was also kind of given to me through Tawari which is the tree that I was dieting um, because it was a tree vision but my head was like the trunk of a tree and I had these absolutely stunning fractals and like beautiful kind of things coming out of my head mm. just all these like kind of gorgeous psychedelic patterns like the glittery stuff all, all, the, all the metallic stuff too just spirals you know the whole the whole shish bang is all coming out of my head it's beautiful and then my head is like the trunk of the tree and then my body are the roots of the tree and there's an equally beautiful fractal psychedelic thing going on downward mm -hmm. and it was very clear to me that this beautiful thing going on upward is because of the beautiful thing going on downward that like my roots are this is where Uh, like it's getting all the nutrients mm -hmm. and it's sucking up the water and it's bringing all these things through the trunk of my head. And that is what's feeding the foliage mm -hmm. up here that's happening. And that this was a very important part of it. And mm -hmm. it was like, and it was, it was rooted in the world. This part was definitely more spirit, this, you know, up here, but this lower rooty area was very important and it was more rooted in the dark moist wetness mm -hmm. of the world and that was that was important and that uh, I had been on I had been undervaluing that aspect of it and, and and just realizing that you know if you want these beautiful visions you also have to take care of this vessel mm -hmm. and if you want to have this beautiful experience 
you also need to to you really listen to the body and so listening to the body was a was a big big uh lesson insight and i think a practice and that's really come out of it is that i would like to uh i would i would like to be more patient mm. and more loving and more listening and just realizing how important it is for everything that it is the roots for everything else i do and it's so easy to get caught up up here and, yeah. and forget that <laughs> i want to share if i may julie roxanne may i your last night uh, no, I, well, I want to share one other perspective, and then I can get into the last night. Go I for know it. this is gonna this is a long episode, but sure. Hey. No, go ahead. I, I I think I'm feeling pretty at peace with what I've shared. I'm sure other stuff will come up when you share, okay. but I'd love for you to go ahead. So we've been talking a lot about interconnectedness and like meaning and the depth of meaning and these dimensions and everything. And I just like to share a perspective for perhaps the skeptics out there that may, and I consider myself one of them coming into this. Uh, there's a part, there's a rational part of my brain that like goes offline when I go on ayahuasca retreat and I'm very open to all this and I'm very uh, influenced by it. And then sooner or later, the rational side comes online again and says, this is not real. What? You know? And it's like, what are you talking about? I just had this experience. It's definitely real. It's like, no, this, you're, you're a fool and, blah, 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 and this rational side. And so I sometimes have to come up with answers for to to this rational side to help this. Uh, I had to kind of like you know appease them, uh-huh. and I figured this might help other people too. If you're listening to this and like you're like eh, okay yeah this is a little you know there's kind of an interesting perspective in the development of recent human history where you know you could say that and I think. You, uh, if you look at like anthropological records or a lot of our ancestors, there used to always be this meaning, this interconnectedness, right? Like if you look at a lot of Native American traditions, we're very inspired by by the fact, by how they recognize this. And I think this goes for a lot of Aboriginal uh, traditions is that there is a, there is a sense of intermingled meaning, mm. right? Um, that there is meaning in the world and there's me like, and there. And there's all these connections and you can't really, you can't really divide the two, right? Like they are intermingled in all sorts of ways. And there's a respect and a power and an awfulness to that too, in ways. And this has been our human experience for most of our human history, for, for all of our ancestors. And it's only recently that something major has changed with this perspective. This is the scientific perspective. And this has only really come around since maybe what the the, the 1700s. Uh, I think this the early seeds were before that. Yeah, but this like is the more but, mainstream. But, but we kind of we we kind of we've adopted a perspective that we don't even realize. We just think it's the truth, mm-hmm. and it's but it's actually just a way of seeing the world. And if you think this is worth reminding ourselves as well, which is just that the scientific method, the scientific approach is a perspective for looking at the world. But it is a perspective. It is not the only, and it is not truth with a capital T, because what we're finding through quantum theory, and we've known for a little while now, and other wisdom traditions have found in other ways, is that there is no objective observer in the universe. There's nowhere you can stand in this universe where you are not connected to what you're observing and influencing it, and that there is not a two-way street going on. And so uh, what we did with this, we kind of, we 
this Cartesian, you can kind of call it like a Cartesian perspective, basically, that we adopted was that we started to think that uh, we started, we stripped the world of all its meaning. And this is what science does, because science needs to be objective. In order for it to be objective, it can, the, the, the connection between the subject has to be severed, right? This is how we can all describe the same thing, is only if the subject is ignored and we focus on the object. Yeah. And so science, and this is not, not to say this has not been an extraordinarily useful perspective. It's a powerful tool. But I think we have to remind ourselves that it is only a tool. And it is only one way of looking at things. And what science has done is basically we have stripped meaning out of all the objects of the world. And everything is now an object, 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 object. And we're a subject. And we are viewing these objects. And, and it's taken all the meaning out. And it's, it's put it all on us. Mm. We are the meaning makers. Mm. We are the only ones that can make meaning of this world. And uh, someone much smarter than me pointed out, isn't that one of the most anthropomorphic things we could do. It's akin, basically, to suggesting that the universe rotates, or that the the Earth is at the center of the universe, Mm -hmm. is that the human mind is at at the the center center of the universe, and that it it transcends all other things in the fact that it can make meaning. And I, and okay, I'm going to get, bring this back to ayahuasca now. But so, so this is a perspective that we've only recently adopted and, and kind of drank the Kool-Aid on and forgot that we drank the Kool-Aid on. And I think ayahuasca, this is how I think ayahuasca feels like a homecoming to me, is that it feels like a, a bringing back to a perspective that may have been forgotten, but is in my bones. And it's a feeling that has never totally left that meaningfulness, that interconnection is there, that there is always a relationship between the subject and the object, the, the observer and the observed, that there, uh, at some level, right, there is no difference. Uh, it, yeah, Zach, Zach mentioned on one of his experiences, he, he kind of touched on the illusion of separation. As if, as if we, as if there is any form of separation, as if I could distance, say that, okay, I'm not going to get affected by this, or I'm going to, I can keep my center, I can, but that everything's affecting us all the time. Like we're, where is the separation? When you've experienced psychedelics and, and journeys like this in a way where you completely dissolve and your body and your consciousness becomes a dot how do you know where you end and where everything else begins? It's, it, I know that might be hard to conceptualize if you've never had these experiences, but I think we all have had these experiences. Oh, you can just contemplate how open the human system is. The human body as a system is so open. Yeah. That is how we survive. We have to bring in information, information. from the outside world constantly. And there are, I mean, our skin is very permeable, but also is, so is our digestive tract. Uh, sounds sights yeah we are extremely sounds. open boundaries yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. system so but I, I i don't know i think this 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 kind of just realizing that like the scientific view it, although helpful and very powerful shows only one side of the truth you know or one perspective of it and that i i really feel like ayahuasca brings us back into a different kind of knowing a different kind of experience that feels very natural and uh and, and very helpful. And in that way, it, it is a homecoming for me. It's helpful for me to hear you say that because uh, 
I, I would never be able to phrase it in the way that you just did because that's just not my style. <laughs> you say these things and I get really angry because I'm like, I've known this all along. Like, <laughs> fuck, you could have asked me. I would have told him that, you know, but I can't say it in that way. I, so. I have to play these games for that rational side of me, which is always like, you know, putting seeds of doubt and skepticism. It's a game. It's a game. It's a, it's a game. But I, I think it can be helpful for opening people up that may be skeptical. Mm -hmm. uh, no, it's great that you shared. Yeah. I'm really happy you shared. So, listener, I'd like to uh, bring your attention to my fourth ceremony. <laughs> <laughs> Alistair needs to share this. I have to it's, share this. I have to. Uh, it's, this is part of my purge. Yes, yes. That's important. Uh, so, on my fourth ceremony, so this was Friday. At the end of the... Near no, the it was Thursday. Was it Thursday? Mm-hmm. Okay, so this was Thursday, uh, near the end of the retreat, and pretty deep into the diet at this point, like, feeling super heavy, really lethargic, really tired. Yeah. Like, I've, I've kind of recovered from the cold that I had, finally. Like, I had cough and a lot of phlegm and mucus. Super tired, though. And I start having uh, diarrhea this day at the beginning in the morning. Mm -hmm. And ironically, uh, we were pulling these oracle cards. <laughs> uh, and like, we pull one to uh, kind of inform us for maybe what the theme of that, that particular ceremony would be. And I pulled an oracle card, which was flow, <laughs> which is all about flow <laughs> and all about letting things flow, the path of least resistance and letting go which was really on point because things were starting to flow. <laughs> uh, and I had diarrhea all day and some stomach pain. And I was a little worried uh, because, because of this. And I asked our shaman, I was like, you know, uh, just letting you know, like got a lot of downward purging going on today. You know, is there going to be any problem with medicine? No. No problem with medicine. So we go into ceremony and he gives me I don't know why, if it was in his wisdom or if it was just had a heavy hand or I don't know what it was. The largest. Is there a difference between his wisdom? <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. You know, okay. I, I don't know, but he gave me the largest first cup of ayahuasca I've ever had. And oh, by the way, how this usually works is that at some point in the night, uh, he opens it up and anyone who wants more oh, can yeah. come up for more. So you can kind of, if you didn't have enough and you want more, uh, it's an open bar. All the way until the ceremony ends. Yes. Basically. Of and course, they even offer a nightcap before they turn yeah. on the lights, which yeah. to me, I, ha I have yet to want a nightcap. I've taken the nightcap. Oh it's God. fun. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he'll Did you take it on day two, on the second ceremony? Maybe? I took a little bit more. I, I don't know, but I, I several times I took more. No, but I, I mean the nightcap. That's my question. I took the nightcap on the last ceremony, actually. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my God. Um, and I might have done it on one of the others. I don't know. This informs that. Yeah. Well, so, and, and of course, he'll be a judge of how you're doing. Yes. So if that'll, you're crawling or he, if you can't make it up to the altar, you're not getting served. served. And if you're, and if you're barely making it, he's going to give you like a drop yeah. and that will just mentally send you back. Um, anyway, so I pulled the flow card uh, and I, now, now I've been giving the largest glass of ayahuasca I've had. And I took it and I was nervous. And I got back to my seat and they started singing. Everyone had finished drinking and he started finishing the first song. 
And I started hearing running water flowing mm. so much so that I had to go into the bathroom because I thought I left the faucet on. Yeah. I thought it was just flow. Like I just heard flowing water just rushing. And I checked the bathroom and no, there was no, I was just, and this was in like minutes of drinking it. And it was starting to come on really strong. I think this is a moment where I might just do a little thing because that fascinates me. And I think to me, that is like proof. To any skeptic or scientific minded people out there that there is an intelligence to this plant that is not explainable by form, how, I don't know. It's like you can drink a full cup one night and not feel that much. And then the next day you can have a pinky of the stuff and go beyond wherever you've gone before. And sometimes you do not take any, like we've had the experience since we've been off the retreat. Sometimes you don't take any and you feel like you're in it. Like so in at night, it's coming up for me since we've, we've been off the retreat. I, the first night after, uh, after leaving or yeah, the first night after leaving the ceremony, I was in the medicine all night, even though I didn't take a drop. The medicine is intelligent and kind of, it, it's unexplainable. So. It works on you in different ways. Yes. And this night, it was coming on like a sledgehammer. And uh, <laughs> after the first song, I was like, I was in the medicine. Like the ve- like the blanket, the, the ayahuasca blanket had come down oh, yeah. over my eyes. And everything is, is just uh, crazy forms. And, and it's all going on. This was the most dif- one of the most difficult nights of my life. And I don't say that lightly. Perhaps I've had more difficult nights, but I've managed to forget them. And thank God for that. (laughs) (laughs) Because I was working with so much pain in my lower belly and and diarrhea that continued to come and come all night. I was going to the toilet by the time, by the end of the night, I had gone to the toilet over 20 times that day And, and with no relief, every time with no relief. And I'm working through the medicine and I have intense pain, intense pain. I'm now getting like, I didn't have the flu, but I was getting like flu-like symptoms because I was dehydrated and I was not able to take on water and I hadn't had salt. So I I was losing electrolytes and nutrients. And so I was starting to feel very cold and achy, kind of like flu-like symptoms almost. A lot of pains. I was having strong pains, sometimes four pains at once in my chest in my testicles, in my lower, like those dull aches and like your lower intestines uh, and in my, in my testicles as well, in my, in, in my back, sharp pains. Uh, sometimes they come all at once. And the entire night was me working with pain. There was very few times, there were brief respites, but for most of the night I was working with pain and I was going to the toilet and purging and coming back, working with pain. And it was this constant loop of, okay, I one of the questions I was working with quite a bit was, can I see pain as a portal? Can I see pain as a portal? Can I see pain as a portal? And I would, I would feel the pain, which would just be like really all-encompassing and try to relax into the pain and go into the pain and let it be there. And like try to give it space and try to let it be. And and I would be able to do this and like kind of achieve kind of zen-like states or or for meditative states 
for maybe 30 seconds mm-hmm. or a minute or whatever. And then the pain would take over and I would start like writhing and like tensing up and moving and like grasping my gut. And like, you know, just like all these kind of unconscious reactions where you're kind of resisting the pain and the pain comes worse. Mm-hmm. And then it would start again. And I'd have to bring myself back to the pain, work with the pain. And then I would lose lose it. And like, I would I would uh, kind of succumb to the pain and, and then I'd start again. And And what was so difficult about this was that this was our longest ceremony too. We drank a lot of medicine. And we started at 10 o'clock tonight instead of the normal 7.30, 8 o'clock time. And we went till sunrise. Yeah. It was gonna, we, were gonna, we were gonna watch the sunrise come up. It was an eight hour sit. And for eight hours, I had the most intense pain in my lower abdomen, in my testicles, in my back, in my chest. And just every moment, I'm coming back to the pain, trying to work, be with the pain, losing control, coming back to the pain, and this was my night, all night, in between times where I'm getting up and, and purging in the toilet. And some upward purges as well. There was some, I was doing some vomiting. And all the while, I'm really, really cold, getting more and more dehydrated, achy as hell, feeling weaker and weaker and weaker. And uh, I think I just want to jump in here because you, you, you said early on, you, you mentioned the pain that you were working with. And then you said achy flu-like symptoms and you linked those with being dehydrated and not having enough electrolytes or something. And I wonder, can you really know what what caused the achiness and the flu-like? Because why would the belly pain be ayahuasca working on you, but the flu-like symptoms? I'm just using that as a descriptor because for me, usually if I get very dehydrated and have diarrhea, I get achy flu-like symptoms. Okay, got it. So I'm not saying that that's like at one level, yeah, I think that's probably what caused it. If you want to say ayahuasca is making that happen or whatever, fine. I'm just merely trying to describe what's happening And I think usually those are paired. Good. So I just wanted to to ask. So this was probably one of the longest nights of my life. Uh, I did go up for more medicine (laughs) uh, to to try to, I I was hoping I was going to like punch it through. Uh, There was something, there was something in my, it was like there was something in my belly that just wouldn't let go. And at times, like there was almost a fear of letting go of the pain. Of it not being there anymore, of like what would come next. It's really hard to explain, but there was a fear of letting it go, like uh, being scared of not having it anymore. Mm -hmm. I had to work through, I had to come like kind of face death to some, not because of what I was going through. I wasn't worried about dying particularly, although it felt pretty shitty. But like this also brought up my fear of death Mm -hmm. and and just dying in general. Um, So like a lot of emotions are linked to this too. It was such a hard night of work, and uh, I was I was basically uh, I, f- I felt you know close to the other realm by the end of the night uh, when I finally got my spoonful of salt, which is how you end dietas. They give you a spoonful of salt that you swish around in your mouth for about thirty seconds, mm. and this kind of pops you back uh, into your body. And uh, the way it's described is that the spiritual energy that you've been cultivating. That's very, very high when you're on diet. Uh, your body and your bodily energy is very low. And when you take the salt, the body meets up and, and it shoots up and reaches up to the level of your spiritual energy. Mm-hmm. Didn't quite have that sensation because uh, 
It was all I could do. To, he looked so bad. <laughs> I, I was in the fetal position, just lying under a bunch of blankets. I could barely move at this point. And um, I had weighed myself early on in the retreat. After this night, I weighed myself and I lost five pounds. And after the next day, because the downward purging continued, I lost seven and a half pounds. And we don't have a scale here, but you've continued to have diarrhea since we've been back here. So yeah. today we're recording. It's Thursday. This is my this is my second dry day. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Feels the body, good. The Feels body's good. A m- my energy is returning. Machine. I'm feeling a lot better. But I uh, had to do some serious work with ayahuasca, and it cleaned some serious shit out of me. Uh, literally, literally, figuratively. However, uh, there was a lot of work going on. Yeah. And it was definitely one of the more difficult nights of my life. It was coming on the heels of one of the most beautiful nights of my life, probably, too, with ayahuasca. And it's funny because at that time, ayahuasca told ayahuasca had wanted to introduce me to a more soft, gentle side of her. That night, I had no pain, I didn't purge. I had these wonderful communications with different spirits like ayahuasca and tuari and beautiful visions, insights, downloads just coming into my body, all sorts of healing. It was it was like a kumbaya night. You know, it was like, <laughs> yeah, this is awesome. And ayahuasca told me then, I'm showing you this because I want you to know this is also a side of me and it's going to get harder soon. <laughs> and Oh my God, ayahuasca wiped the floor with me on that last night. It was so hard, so much discomfort. And if if there's one word I would use for ayahuasca, it's surrender. Ayahuasca teaches you how to surrender to what is in this moment, whether it's frustration, whether it's pain, whether it's bliss and joy, whether whether it's uh, relaxing into your body, all these things. It teaches you how to surrender. And I feel like the art of, at least early on for me, the art of getting to know ayahuasca is learning how to surrender, surrender in a masculine way, in a, in a, in a feminine way, surrender to not being able to surrender, you know, surrendering when, when you just don't know how. Mm. That's really what ayahuasca has taught me uh, quite a bit about. And um, that feels like a really helpful lesson. And in a lot of ways, it, it parallels my journey on, with meditation, mm. particularly. I feel like ayahuasca is a kindred spirit to meditation. Yeah. I feel like uh, they're powerful together. Uh, and ayahuasca, I feel very, I think that's a good way to prepare for ayahuasca is to have a serious meditation practice. And I think that ayahuasca has been very helpful for me in my meditation practice. It's taught me a lot of things in more direct ways about how to relax into my meditation as well. So I think they're really, really well linked as well. You know, I think one other, uh, a couple, another aspect, if you're thinking about how you, maybe it's something that's interesting to you and you want to prepare uh, retreats, retreats, and ways of coming to yourself, um, whatever that is for you. I think the more comfortable you are with being with yourself, and being with what is and, and really learning to surrender to what is, whatever that practice is for you, whether it be like a stillness practice or yoga or some other practice, that's probably going to uh, do you a lot of good uh, if you uh, would like to dance with the vine. Yeah, and I think this is a good place for me to share that even though I, I've also had the blissful night, I've had the, the really hard night. It wasn't quite as, it wasn't hard in the same way as yours was, but I've had 
I've had a, a, a the fourth night. Seven and a half pounds. I'm a sm- I'm not a big dude. No, you're not. I weighed 150 pounds going in. Oh. So seven and a half pounds is, pounds is massive. I'm really grateful for what I, I like. I must have let go of some real stuff. Yeah. So you feel like you did. I do. I feel real great. Yeah. I'm feeling good now. I'm feeling like cleaned, and mm-hmm. I'm just like whoa. It's kind of scary thinking about what I might have been holding on to, what was in there. And yeah, that's something Zach was saying yeah, to you like, at the end. Yeah, just it's like, like, wow, just how much you were holding on to. Just imagine if that doesn't leave you. Could have been the source of a blockage. It might have already been. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, so even though I haven't had quite exactly that same level of pain, I did I did work with a lot of difficulties on the last night as well. And um, I can say that. I cannot wait to go back. I cannot wait to continue to work with this with this plant. It's absolutely powerful. It's for me a non-question whether or not this is going to be a part of my life going forward. I don't know for how long. I have no idea, but right now this feels very very alive for me. I think we both feel very called to continue working with the plant. It yeah. definitely took me a few days to get back to that. <laughs> <laughs> true that's not true you said you said you didn't feel great uh, you that you couldn't imagine taking ayahuasca again the next night after that experience and then the the following day before we left so before noon that day you said i can entertain the idea of doing it again so it took me a couple days days. (laughs) Uh, there's something in it it was a different teacher from a friend of ours who said this but that i he said ayahuasca is you Mm. and i thought this was a really helpful way to think about it. It's just that ayahuasca really got me to know me. It helped me to know me. And it helped me become aware more of myself, have more self-knowledge, more self-understanding in a lot of different ways. Just not, not just on an intellectual level, on a very experienced level. And I think that is why I respect this plant so much and I respect the shamans that carry out this work and I respect everyone who is uh, brave enough and willing enough to do this work because there is a real strong feeling that we're not just doing this work for ourselves. We're not just healing our own stuff here. It's like this is part of the way the world's going to heal and that we're doing healing work so that we can help facilitate healing in the world and i think this is this is valuable like this is true for any healing modality or any any time you're working on yourself to heal from something whether with the help of ayahuasca or something else you are healing the collective because this is one of the things that really was undeniable on ayahuasca is just how much the work we all do heals the collective and how we're all we all have the same we all carry pain and if I do my work with my pain, I'm helping people with similar pain. And and it just it's a beautiful ripple effect. And the past and the future are all here in this moment, mm. in the in the present. They are all there. So if you do the healing work here now in this moment, you do it for the past and for the future. Well, thank you for listening. Thank you very much. This one has been fun to talk about. And yeah, it it feels also in the continuity of our own work, trying to kind of put words and integrate. This is part of our integration process. So thank you for holding space for that. Yeah. And if you have questions, we'd love to talk with you about it. And we're happy to uh, 
share more. So you can uh, you can reach us at host at thefaroutpodcast.com. We're also on Instagram at thefaroutcouple. Uh, I haven't reintegrated Instagram yet. At the time of this recording, but obviously by the time this comes out, I will be back on there. So if you have any questions, shoot us, shoot us over there. Yeah, we'd love to, you know, share our, more of our experience and uh, talk with you about it. If you're wondering, we got back to our beautiful, beloved San Pedro just by the kind of skin of our teeth. Uh, we hired another private boat. And it the was, police actually came. The police came. Yeah, they saw us off. Uh, we weren't sure all, almost to the hour that we left yes. if we were going to be able to get back because... We had packed and everything yeah. and things fell through. Yeah, but the towns were all doing checkpoints. It was unsure if we would get through all the checkpoints. The boats had been shut down. But our landlady was able to get us a boat. The boat came, picked us up at that secret dock. And uh, as we pulled out, the police uh, were there and uh, telling uh, the boat driver this is the last time and taking pictures of the boat. <sighs> so uh, we just got back. Yeah. And God, was it a relief. Yeah, it was really nice. It was really nice. If you want to support this podcast, you know what to do. You can uh, leave us a review on iTunes. This really, really helps people like you find the podcast. Yes, you can also share this podcast with a friend or any other episode. That's how we grow. Mm -hmm. And uh, we love having these kind of conversations. And we love growing the tribe. Yes, and you can also support us on Patreon if this is something you're interested in, if that if you feel called to it. We have a lot of good content on it. We are hoping to dump a lot of content around ayahuasca on this like bonus content over there you can access that exclusive content at the three dollar level yes and uh this podcast takes a team of four to produce weekly um so if you feel inclined to help us providing some financial support is a massive help a massive massive help so thank you for all our patrons we really appreciate your support it is uh extraordinarily moving we love you All right. And thank you for listening. Thank you. Toodles. Toodles.